This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. The entrepreneurship of buying a property getting it stabilized, getting it rented, and then over time paying it down. And there's some strategies to doing that more effectively. And it, it just takes some grind and it takes savings. It takes, you know, some discipline, but, um, but that's it. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Thank you so much for being here today, everybody. As I've talked about on this show in the past, I am very interested in getting into buy and hold rental real estate, the additional income, the ability to grow a business that my family can be a part of just gets me all jacked up (laughs) to continue to fan the flames of my real estate dreams. I've invited Chad Carson on the show today. Chad is a full-time real estate investor, a world traveler, a father of two and a dedicated husband for the last 15 years. Chad has built a real estate portfolio that has allowed his family to comfortably live without the need of full-time W2 employment through the moniker of coach Carson. Chad now gives priceless advice on how to invest in real estate and retire early. He's been featured in Rockstar Finance, Business Insider, Yahoo Finance, and his new book, aptly titled Retire Early with Real Estate, drops on August 23rd. Welcome to the show, Chad. Hey, Andy. It's great to be here. I'm a a fan of your work. Oh, thank you so much. And I am a fan of yours. I'm an aspiring real estate investor. I do not have any right now, and I would like to have some. So that's why I've got you on here. And uh, we can also help people learn how to do it as well. So how did you get into real estate? Yeah, it was sort of a back door, actually. I, I was a biology major in college, and I actually, I was biology, and I had a minor in German. So, like, I, I kind of joke with people and say, like, the only thing I knew about real estate, practically, was I could tell you, like, the front, the species of the plant in the front yard, like the tree, and then I could translate that to German. So, that, that was about <laughs> it, you know? Um, I, I was fortunate, though, because my family, my father had rental properties growing up. So I guess I did have a little bit of a, just at least kind of observation of how that worked. And uh, my mother was a dentist. And so I was, I was pretty fortunate that they, they spoke about their money. Like my mom was a high earner. My dad was the invested money, was an entrepreneur, actually failed at a couple businesses before real estate. And so I got to observe a lot of that, which was in talk about it at the kitchen table, uh, which was awesome. And so I, when I graduated from college, I wasn't ready. I apply, I was going to apply to med schools. That was kind of my passion was biology and medicine. And, and so I, I said, you know what, I'm just going to I'm going to take a break. I'm, I'm just going to, I was played football in college. I was a little tired. I decided to just start picking up real estate a little bit to see if I could flip a couple houses. And I thought, you know, this will be something useful. I can use this on the side when I'm a professional and I have a W-2 income. And I, I sort of got hooked <laughs> when I started doing it. And I haven't looked back. I, I, I got used to riding around in the car, not having a set schedule, being an entrepreneur. And I just loved it. And, and so I've continued to do that. And we can talk about how that's evolved over the years. But I started off just trying to put food on the table, flipping houses and doing it that way. And I transitioned eventually to what my current passion is, is buy and hold real estate uh, that produces income with, with a lot less day-to-day effort and, and management of the, of the activities. So when you were making that decision at 22, 23, you know, what am I going to do? 
you looked at one path and then you looked at another. Why did you say, I, I just don't want to try to pursue the biology thing or the German thing. I want, <laughs> I want to go for real <laughs> estate. What, what excited you about that? It was kind of like the matrix, you know, it has those two pills and it was like, all right, you're going to take this pill. You're going to take this pill. And, you know, and I took the entrepreneurial pill and I think that's really what did it. I, I had a professor, um, I was just auditing classes after I got done and I had a business professor and he was just amazing. Like he, he talked about how he rode around in his car and he bought rental properties and it just sounded so exciting and it had a lot of flexibility. And, and I think that's really from the very beginning for me, it's been about that flexibility, that freedom, um, all the way, you know, it started off with me, I was having to hustle and make money, but even then I was playing basketball in the middle of the day, pick up basketball. I was going on trips. And so I just, I saw the, the normal path while interesting, you know, going to working for somebody else or practicing medicine, it was intellectually interesting, but the, the lifestyle was, was very different. And so that's what, that's what ultimately pushed me down that path was just saying, you know what, this is so much flex, more flexible and has a lot of potential. And I could also go back and do the other things. But if I did this first, I figured I could, uh, it would be a good first step. Well, that's great. Well, you've had a lot of success. I gave you that great introduction, but you know, it all starts from somewhere. So you weren't always, you know, this uh, real estate uh, mogul right now. So where did you start out? How How did you find the first house? How did you get your start? Yeah, I started off as a deal finder, and I'm, I'm from the southern U.S. People could probably tell from my accent. We call that uh, a bird dog down here. So a bird dog, like for, for people who, are, when they went hunting for birds, they would bring this dog. They would kind of sniff out the bushes and point to the to the bird, and then the person hunting would say, all right, now I know where it is. And, and so I was kind of that dog who went and sniffed out deals for other people and the people who had the money. Like I had a 1000 bucks getting out of college. I didn't have a lot of knowledge, but I, I always find that whatever business you're in, but in real estate in particular, if you take one little slice of the business and you become really good at that slice of it, then and kind of identify what your strengths are and your weaknesses, you can sort of concentrate and become an expert in that little tiny slice. And that's I did that with the front slice of finding deals. Like I was I was just good at sniffing out the deals. I didn't know how to close it. I didn't know how to get the money to buy it. I didn't know how to manage rentals. I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to do any of that. But I, all I did was like call people and send letters and say, Hey, would you like to sell your house? Would you like to sell your house? Would you like to sell your house? And some people said yes. And, and, and then I learned how to, I made a couple thousand bucks on a few deals like that. Um, and then that helped me learn how to do it. And I got more confidence. And so about a year later, a business partner and I started getting the money to buy the houses ourselves. We remodeled them, we flipped them and it just sort of grew from there after I figured out that one little slice. Okay. So is, this was like, almost like your internship in, uh, in real yeah. estate that doing the bird doggy. That's great. <laughs> Exactly. Yes. <laughs> so you, you said uh, you got into flipping and I understand you've you've done multiple different types of directions with real estate, uh, flipping other 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 avenues. Talk mm. about some of those early learnings about deciding that path, because you said, you know, I, I found this, this niche of bird dogging. I was I was doing well with it. Uh, talk to me about the, some of those learnings about choosing the right path with real estate, because there's a lot of different paths. Yeah, real estate's a really big umbrella. So like even calling it like one business is sort of a misnomer because there's so many different niches. And I think that's one of the most important things when you're first getting into real estate is to identify, again, what I was saying earlier, like what are your strengths? What are your interests? What's your, you know, what are you good at? And for me, I got into the business. Number one, I just had to make some money. So it was pretty practical saying, all right, what part of the business can I go out and make some money in? And if, if you were, if anybody listening is in that boat where they kind of want to make a career out of it or a side hustle, um, you can be a realtor. You can actually get your license, which I, I, I kind of encourage people to do that now if you're going to make a career out of it. I, I went a little bit 
you know, the path I went on was a little bit more difficult, actually, um, where I was just jumped right into being an investor and finding only investment properties. But that's that's a potential thing too. a bird dog, a wholesaler is another term some people use for something similar to that um, or a realtor, a property manager. Uh, you know, so there's a lot of businesses within the real estate business. You, th- you think of anything that has to do with real estate, there's somebody making money on it. Right. For all the way down to like the heating and air tech. Uh, but then the more normal path, like what I got into eventually after making money is what I think most people are interested in is the the investment side of it. So actually buying a property that's going to grow in value, that's going to grow in equity where you pay the loan down or own it free and clear that produces income. And that's ultimately where I always wanted to go. Like I had to start making money, but I, I see that side of real estate as a completely different niche, but it, it's, it's very interesting. And I think it has a lot of advantages, particularly with, with you know early retirement, when you eventually want to be able to do other things, you want to take other projects on, you want to be a parent, you spend more time parenting, having some kind of recurring income at some point is a really nice place to get. Cool. So 15 years ago, that would be like 2003, 2004, you started into this. And I understand through listening to some uh, of your other interviews, as well as reading through your blog, that you started to amass a large amount of properties uh, at, at a point. Is that right? Yeah. So I think one of the biggest mistakes I made was borrowing goals from other people. Uh, that's something I, I, I say a lot is that, you know, I, I, yeah, I go to seminars, you read a book and I don't know, maybe it's human nature is my own weakness, but I, I said, okay, well, they're buying and selling 50 houses a year. So I think I'll just build my business like them. And I was good at copying like, all right, that's how they do it. That's how they find deals. And then I just, my business partner, and I went and did it. Well, you know, there's some downsides to that as well, which for us, we, we bought 50 properties. You know, we started in 2003. By 2007, we had 50 closings in 2007 where we were acquiring 50 properties. And we're doing this full time, so it's a little bit little bit different. Um, but, you know, everybody knows their financial history, 2007, 2008, 2009. Uh, that wasn't very smart, you know, on our part. Not, not that I don't, I think it's kind of difficult to predict markets, but if we were really paying attention and also kind of understanding our own goals, we didn't need to get that busy, that big. And, you know, we survived, luckily, I'm still here standing, but it was not without scars, not without some, uh, you know, we, the things we did kind of financially, which I know you do a lot on your, your show is that we actually, just like your personal finances, we had a really big cash reserve, um, going ahead of that. So we flipped a lot of houses, we made money, but we lived super frugally, just like we, I just got, you know, got out of college a few years ago. Why change your lifestyle? And, and so I didn't have a lot of overhead. And, and so that and neither did my business partner. And so we stashed away a lot of cash and we actually used a lot of that cash on vacancies, on underestimating repairs on properties, on buying the property in a wrong, wrong location that had bad tenants who just kept, you know, kept on having turnover and turnover. And so it took us a while to work through that all the way up until three or four years ago. And even a couple properties we still have today, we're still kind of, it's kind of like chewing gum on the bottom of your shoe. Like it kind of, <laughs> these bad, bad properties kind of stick with you like for a long time. That's one of the negatives of real estate. It's not like you press a button and sell it, take your loss. You, you've got to, if you make a mistake, it, it sticks with you. Um, but if you do something really well, that sticks with you too. It's, it's a really interesting game like that, where the illiquidity of real estate, meaning you can't just get rid of it. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really big advantage, actually. But it's also if you if you mess up, it can it can really cost you as well. Got it. So when you were uh, at that 2007 time frame and you had almost 50 50 closings, were you pretty highly leveraged at that point? And, and then if you were, did you work with banks? Did you work with private lenders? How did that work? 
Yeah. So we were highly leveraged. I mean, when we first started, it was a thousand bucks for me and my business partner had a little bit more money, but yeah, we, we used a lot of leverage and fortunately, and I don't know if this partly was intuition, partly was just kind of what we had, but we, we did not go to a lot of banks. Um, when I, when I first started, I was unemployed basically as banks saw it. I didn't, I didn't have a job, you know, <laughs> and my, my business partner was an entrepreneur. He had a little internet business, which in 2003, people were like, Oh my, you know, internet business. What is that? You know, you can't, you can't make money on the internet. And so we were both like, uh, you know, whatever you call that. No, people didn't want to touch us in the bank. We, we got a couple bank loans, but Fortunately for us, we had to go outside of the banking system. We used a lot of seller financing, private money. So we had people, we had a, that same professor who I was very interested in in college. He had a, uh, an IRA, a 401k basically, that he put into a self-directed IRA and he started loaning money to us on deals. So he would you know, loan us money and he could make 6% interest eventually where, where if that money were somewhere else, you know, he was in retirement phase, you know, he would have the ups and downs of the stock market, or he could put it in a CD and make a half percent, or he could put it with me who he knew me, trusted me, and he knew real estate and we would give him a really low loan to value so that if something happened to us, he'd take the property back and still make money on it. So it was a really good, um, when, when where I had individuals who were actually investing in my business and in my properties. And so as we got into 2007, eight and nine, you know, we did have, you know, negative cash flow. We were able to pay all our bills. We never missed a payment with anybody, but in a worst case scenario, if, if we had had to go to those people and say, Hey, this is really getting bad. Is there anything we can do? It would be a much easier conversation with my professor because we we figure something out. Maybe we'd pay lower interest rate now and give him half the equity or all the equity, or we'd sell him the property back and pay him his money back over time. So I, I always mention that in real estate, leverage is one of the biggest risks you take. And I I have friends who've used no leverage, you know, Dave Ramsey style, and done just fine. So that's one path you can take. And I talk about that, this in the book as well. How there's you know leverage is is a personal choice. It's kind of a risk that you choose how much you want to use it, but no matter what, whether you use no leverage or whether you use leverage, it's the it's the thing that will knock you out of the game quickest. Is not managing your your financial capital correctly in real estate, and so we learned that kind of matter. Of, we learned it along the way. Some of it luck, some of it intuition, but um, I, I think that's, that's something over time that we we're we're reducing our leverage. We still have leverage, and I'm still kind of figuring out where we want to land, but. Um, one of my my main things is eventually, if you do use leverage, it's not a forever thing. It's you, know, you use it; it's a tool. You acquire some properties, you make some money, get it paid off, own at least a big chunk of your your portfolio, free and clear, because it increases cash flow, it reduces risk, it just makes it more relaxing to own your rental properties. Mm-hmm. And so, I'm a, I'm a big believer in that kind of strategy as well. Well, it sounds like the 50 or so homes was a little bit overwhelming for you, especially during that horrible time of of, of the economy. Uh, Where are you now? Like how many feels right to you? How many rentals feels right to you? Yeah. So we still have more than I would want long run, but um, I have my business partner, I have a, between the two of us, we have about 90 properties. So 90 units. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I say that kind of reluctantly because a lot of the people, you know, you don't need that many to make it work. Like, so if you just split that in half, say, all right, 45 for me, 45 for him, even there, I think we would be happy more at like a 25, 30 kind of number a piece. And, and so that, you know, it, 
long run, I think that's where we're moving. Like we, we sell off some properties, use that capital slowly to pay off other properties and kind of whittle it down. I sort of look at it like a, a farmer who has a herd of cattle or something. And, you know, you're trying to optimize your herd every year. You take oh, that, that, that cow's a little sick. That's going to be uh, that's going to be Christmas dinner. We're going to go out and kill that cow and eat that one. And so that's what we do with, with some of our rental properties. We, mm. we sell those off and, and, and eat them for Christmas dinner. <laughs> uh, and I, so I think five, 10 years from now, that number will be less. It might be 70, you know, somewhere in there between the two of us. Okay, cool. So you talked a little bit about like, you know, finding the right number. And so how does somebody do that? How does, how does somebody getting into this for the first time say, well, how many is the right number? Do I need 90? Do I need two? Do, how, how do I find the right number for me? Yeah. So th- this is, this is something that's important when you start, you don't have to get super exact about it, but the, the math of re- rental retirement is super simple. You know, I'm, I'm not a math like, you know, PhD or something. You, you can basically, you start with whatever your income is, what your income needs in the future. And this might be for people who are listening, like you might say, you know, rental properties is going to be 25% of my retirement income, or you know, it's not going to be all of it. It's just going to be a part of it. For other people like me, it's going to be 95% of it. And so you, you can kind of adjust based on that. But let's just say your number is $5,000 a month. That's kind of an easy round number. Uh, So $60,000 per year, you can basically work that backwards and say, all right, how many free and clear rental properties would I need such that when I pay all my expenses, like management, taxes, insurance, maintenance, vacancy, capital expenses, when all of that's paid, but I don't have a mortgage payment, how much would I, how much would each property give me and how many properties would I need? So for example, um, if you had a property that rented for a thousand bucks per month, let's just use that number. And let's say 50% of those, uh, that rent goes away to expenses, which is actually not far off. You know, I've had some properties that are 40% expense ratios. Some properties are 55, 60%. I mean, it depends on the property, but 50% is kind of a a quick and dirty number that if you just want to use it fast. And so $500 per month of that property would be available to you. If you didn't have a mortgage, that's how much you'd have left over, right? And so how many properties would you need if you needed 5,000 bucks per month out of those ten, those $500 per month properties? 10, that's easy math. That's why everybody would be easy. <laughs> yes. so, so it's possible if you knew that I wanted to have 5,000 a month, you know, 10 years from now when you are going to retire off your real estate, you would just need to buy 10 properties, get them paid off. There you are. Um, and so, so I love that simplicity. That's to me is one of the biggest benefits of, of real estate, either as a part of your portfolio or a large part of it is that math is not complicated. This isn't the 4% rule. This isn't like all these other things that I hear a lot of people in the financial independence community have to kind of stress about, you know, you know, with spreadsheets and all that. It's just basically the entrepreneurship of buying a property getting it stabilized, getting it rented, and then over time paying it down. And there's some strategies to doing that more effectively. Um, but that's it. I mean, you just, you just, you know, it just takes some grind and it takes savings. It takes, you know, some discipline. But um, once you do that, you get into a place where things you can do sort of what we did. We're, we're living off rental income. I'm not having to flip a house. I'm not having, my wife is a Spanish professor. So she used to work at a university and she started going part-time when we had kids and sort of realized that, Hey, I don't like having to go in and do all these meetings and all this other stuff. And so she still does a little bit of part-time work when it's uh, fun for her, but both of us can just do the things that we want to do. If it makes money, great. If it doesn't make money, we don't have to because of that, that rental income that's coming in consistently. We'll be back to the show in just a moment after a word from our sponsors. 
Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? <laughs> if you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello and use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. Thanks for considering our sponsors today, everybody. Let's jump back into that interview. You know, for a for a full time W two employee guy like me, I, I think about all of the the hidden costs uh, that you that you get covered uh, with your job, the health insurance, the <laughs> the vacation days, whatever, all those things. How do you factor those into the amount of money you need to make to take care of your family? Yeah, I mean, it's a really good point. Healthcare being, you know, the top of my mind right now. Um, but you know, it's 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 a budgeting thing. It's it's uh, it, it is difficult. I, I have friend, a lot of friends who work W two jobs as well, and I think it's difficult to do the accounting on what you're really benefit what those benefits are, like you're talking about. But one thing we do is we just try to we try to track it really closely. I've been doing that for years. I've always been the budget nerd. My wife, you know, is very good to kind of sit down and I'm like, all right, we're gonna after dinner, ten minutes, we're gonna talk about this budget thing. And um, when we first met, she used to she's awesome with money actually now. And we, we talk about it a lot, but when we first met, I, she used to have these stacks of her, her retirement like statements, you know, she'd get every month and they were, they were unopened. And I was like, Carrie, you know what, what's going on? Why are, what are these envelopes unopened? She's like, well, if I opened them, I'd have to do something with them and I don't know what to do with them. So 
So she just leaves the mud open. Um, so we, we both come a long way since those, those conversations, but I think part of it's just awareness, part of it's tracking. We use, you know, we've used QuickBooks and went meant and some other different tools, but ultimately it's also building in some flexibility and some, um, as an entrepreneur, I've always had, you know, ups and downs of cash flow where I, you know, I knew, all right, I need 3000 bucks a month, for example, to live, um, as an entrepreneur, one month I make zero or two months I make zero dollars, or I might even feed the, the business some money. Another month I make 30,000 bucks flipping a house. And so I, I think part of that was just always having to have that discipline of knowing that, you know, next month isn't guaranteed. And so we track it really closely, um, with health insurance is kind of a, a wild card. Um, we had a really interesting experience because we moved overseas and we lived in Ecuador for 17 months. And our health insurance, I mean, the, the, the amount of cost of, of going to a doctor, and this is a professional doctor, often trained in the US or Argentina, other places with really good medical care. And it would be 50 bucks or 30 bucks for like a, a visit that would cost us two or, two or 300 bucks here. And also, the, even we get health insurance for 100 bucks a month, and so it was a shocker coming back to the U.S. and th- all right, we have 1,300 bucks a month for a 13,000 dollar deductible. And so I, I think my only answer to that is, all right, we're going to pay that. Let's just build more cushion in. And so if we thought our expenses were 4,000 a month, you know, we're going to have to build some extra cushion in over time to to cover that. But with rental properties, you know, all right, let's go buy another two rental properties, and that'll cover health insurance. And you hope. This is no guarantee here, but with rental properties, traditionally, as a hedge for inflation, are, are pretty good. You know, we've raised rents on a lot of our our rentals over the last ten to fifteen years. You know, there's not an exact corollary that is going to always keep up, but you know, I, I like the fact that you own these assets that are going to tend to appreciate over time if you take care of them and if you buy them correctly, and so that's also helps with some of your planning. I love that. Well, a couple of questions came up from from that information. So the marriage dynamic. You started to talk about your. Um your relationship with your wife. Has she always been into real estate with you? I mean, ever since the beginning, did she say, okay, I like this guy and he's doing this real estate thing. I don't know. Maybe he'll get a job or something. I mean, how did that work out in the beginning? (laughs) Yeah, no, she was not into real estate at all. In fact, um, I remember picking up, it was the first or second date. I don't remember. And I, again, I, this is like my third year in real estate. So we were still like in the hustle mode. We're not doing that. We're doing okay. But, um, and to that end, like I was always trying to find properties and I actually put signs on the side of my car. This is my Toyota Camry from high school that I got when I was in high school and I'm still driving that car. And, and I put, we buy houses on, with my phone number on the side of this car. And, and I pull up to pick her up at her apartment and she didn't say anything. Like I was expecting like, okay, you know, what's, what's she going to say? And she just got in the car and didn't say anything. And, I asked her like, you know, later on, uh, probably a week or two later, I said, you know, what'd you think the first time you saw that car? And she said, well, I just assumed you were driving the company car. I didn't think you owned it. <laughs> she assumed I was like working for somebody else, you know, at the time. And, oh, and so like we, but we started talking about it and she's, of course, she is my editor extraordinaire for all my blog posts. So she always reads all that. She goes to my classes. And so, you know, she's got a really good intuition for money. And I've, I've appreciated that partnership because as she's learned the specifics of it, you know, I'll run deals by her. We'll just discuss it. She's not as interested um, in the day-to-day stuff. It's just not her thing. She has other other interests, foreign languages and things like that. But um, it's fun to have that partnership and be able to bounce bounce it off each other. And and there's been there have been times when I, I was gung-ho about something, I discussed it with her, and my rule has become that if I can't dis- explain this crazy deal I want to do in real estate and, and explain it in 60 seconds and my wife kind of absorb it and be okay with it and get it, 
it's too complicated. It's too kind of crazy of a deal. And that's been a really nice uh, judgment to have. And she's, she's nixed some deals that we just were too crazy or didn't make sense. And it's been a, it's, that dynamic continues to go and it's been very helpful. I love talking to my wife about crazy things that I'm interested in because she always brings me, <laughs> she always centers me a little bit, we'll say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so you said she's into foreign languages. Is that is that a part of the reason you guys are doing some global travel right now? I understand. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Ecuador. So 17 months with your family there. So uh, is that is that something that's really important to both of you? Yeah. So when we first met, we talked about traveling abroad and I got to do a little bit of it in college. I studied German. And so I just got the bug. I just got the travel bug. And for both of us, um, you know, visiting other cultures, meeting new people, specifically learning another language, just that personal growth that comes with learning how other people say things and interact and communicate with people is just, it's just been a passion and it's fascinating. And, and so we did a little bit, we did that one before we had kids, we went on many retirements where we backpacked around South America and had fun doing that. And, when we had kids, we had, you know, we waited till our younger daughter was three, um, to do this latest trip. And our oldest daughter was five when we left. And so we just felt like that was a good age. Um, we traveled with them when they were like infants. And then we waited a, few, a couple more years to do this big trip. And we just, um, for us having them go to a local school, learn a foreign language, um, in this case, Spanish and Ecuador, which is a really neat thing for us where they now, they would come back from school. The first couple of months are really tough. Um, they were, you know, had 15 words of Spanish before we got there and we dropped them in the deep end of a local school where they spoke hundred percent Spanish. And, uh, I sometimes questioned our sanity at that point, but, uh, they came home and after five or six months, both, both of them had different, uh, kind of speeds of learning, but they both absorbed it after you know nine months, they were correcting me. Like I had Spanish before that and I was, spoke pretty well. My wife speaks really well. And they would say, Papa, no se dice eso. They like correct all my vocabulary and pronunciation. I was like, this is awesome. My kids are like teaching me Spanish and they knew nothing nine months ago. So that, that, that kind of, that kind of experience is fun for us. I mean, it's not for everybody, but it's, it's something where we like, like kind of slow travel now, particularly with family. I mean, we used to backpack and go, you know, one place to another, but for us, it was just go to a city. In this case, it was Cuenca, Ecuador, which is a beautiful, um, colonial city up in the mountains, 8,000 feet up in the Andes mountains. And it's a smaller city, beautiful old buildings, green mountains all around, pretty good expat community. And so we just lived in an apartment. They went to school every day. We had friends. We met local people, went to the parks. It wasn't like just this go, 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 go kind of travel. It's just a slow, nice, get to know people, get to know the food, pay attention to all the little things of travel. That It's just a different style. And that, that's really what, going back to the finances, if you can have your finances in order and not have to go to that, you know, plug into that nine to five job, it allows you to do some things a little bit differently. You can kind of reverse it and take your time. That's I, to me. I tell people like the ultimate luxury for me and my wife is not having like a big car. I mean, we could technically have some money to go buy some fancy car or a really big house, but having slow time is like the ultimate luxury. It's, it's the luxury as a parent. It's the luxury as a spouse. It's just as a person getting to read, getting to explore. It's something we really, if you think about it, not many of us get to do all the way back to the time we're a kid. You know, after 10, 12, 15 years old, you're, you're in that go, go, go climb, go to college or go to work a job or whatever you got to do. And so a big part of my message to myself and my ambition is to slow my life down to the point where I can enjoy just being a person and figure out what I want to do with my life. You know, it's, we, we all get kind of plugged in to certain paths and identities and it's kind of fun just to reset and just say, what do I want to be now? I'm 38 years old. Let's, let's, let's figure this thing out again. 
and to do that for my wife too, and to help help her figure out what she wants to do with her life and reinvent herself or and our kids and whatever else kind of comes about from that. That's an incredible message for everybody. I really, I really think that's a, a good point to reset, to slow down and, uh, you know, analyze where you want to be in your life. So I have to ask, you're out there for 17 months in Ecuador. How the heck are you managing 90 properties, my friend? <laughs> yeah. So it was, it's not overnight. <laughs> it was a process and it's a combination of number one people. I have, I have a really good you know, I have a really good person back home who, and she started off as a bookkeeper. She grew into the role of sort of an administrator, property manager. And so for 60 of those properties, she is, she's the go-to person. And I still am involved in that. I still underwrite like the, when we have a tenant, she does all the work of getting all the applications and all the information. I make the ultimate decision, but I can do that through technology, computers, everything back in Ecuador. And I can, in Ecuador, I still do that through online bill pay and through technology and really cool software. Um, so combination of a really good people on the ground, that that person, also some contractors who are really or make a good part of our team. And then technology allow you to do, you know, I, I typically spent, you know, some weeks were more, some weeks were less, but about an hour or two per week. Usually on Thursdays, I would do my bill paying and kind of bookkeeping. And but the rest of the week, it was like, oh, I might get a text here and there, just kind of asking a question. But it really, when you get some people and some systems in place, you can be a relatively passive business. And that's fortunately where we got at that point for us. That's great. That's great. Well, so um, you talked about the importance of. Um you know, being a father and uh, spending time with your children. Do you, do you see them being a part of this real estate business in the future? I would love it. <laughs> you know, I, 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 it's just starting. Like my, my older daughter is seven years old and, and my wife and I have, have, are really interested in helping them figure out what their gifts are and, and try, you know, but also the giving them the message that, you know, this is what dad does. He, and it's kind of, real estate investor, that doesn't mean anything. So I'm trying to explain it in a way like, what, what do I do? All right. I help people with housing. Like, you know, you know how we live in this house and we were down in Ecuador. So we were renting from the person that said, you know how this is not really our house. This is, we didn't want to buy a house here. And so we, you know, we are living here, but we pay money to this other person and she's really nice enough to let us live here and we take care of it for her. And, and then we pay her some money every month. So I'm, I'm trying to explain that like every job, is a, you know, something we give to somebody else. And, and the corollary of that at some point is like, all right, what do you have to give? What do you want to contribute? What do you want to do? And, you know, mom's a teacher. She helps people learn languages. You know, we learn, you learn how to speak. And so we'll have that conversation. And, you know, I had no clue whether they'll be interested in it. I would hope, you know, I would hope they ha- they'll have some kind of, uh, you see it as a resource. And, but, you know, I know from my own case, my dad, you know, had rental properties and he used to, when I was in middle school during the summers, this is in Georgia, heat, you know, 95 degrees, he would buy a property. And sometimes it, was a, uh, it had been vacant for months because it was a foreclosure. And somebody would leave the refrigerator full of food and he would, he would drop me off and say, Hey, okay, Chad, here you are. Clean this refrigerator at, uh, out. I'll be back in three hours and <laughs> see you later. <laughs> and, you know, you'd open it up and it smells and there's, you know, nasty trash everywhere in the house. And, and I was thinking to myself at that time, like, this is the worst business I can imagine. I will never, never do this, you know, I do something else, but, um, you know, you, you wisen up when you grow up and you realize that, that it can also, it can also be some good on the other side of that. So, um, yeah, so I came around, but it wasn't, I think the, the lesson I got from my parents was they weren't trying to force it down my throat. You know, my mom was a in medical profession. She was interested if I wanted to go that way, was always interested in giving advice. My dad was an entrepreneur, investor, 
he, when I talked about it, my, his ears perked up and he was always enthusiastic to have a discussion with me, but it wasn't like, Hey, that's what you got to do. And I, I plan on doing something similar. Um, my, my main thing is I, I would like them to be self-sufficient. Like if uh, my girls are interested in dance now, if they want to be dancers, if they want to be, do something else that is, that could or may or may not make money, follow your heart be creative. That's awesome. I always follow that, but also have one or two or three practical ways on the side, be a plumber, be a, you know, bookkeeper, be a real estate investor, whatever you want to do, you know, just, you got to mix that passion and that practical side. And that's, that's certainly a message I'll try to keep in their ear over the years. That's great. Well, you're back from Ecuador now. So where's the next adventure? Uh, we are, our house is actually rented for another few months. So we're sort of roaming around right now. <laughs> we're, uh, um, we're going to go, we're at the beach now with our kind of visiting with my wife's family and reconnecting there. We're going to go out to, to St. Louis where she lives, where their family lives and visit there. Um, then we're just going to go out, we're going to take a road trip out to Colorado for a little bit and kind of hang out, go see Mr. Money Mustache headquarters, kind of some other friends out in Longmont and the other area there. And then, uh, we're going to go back to our girls going to go to school this fall back in South Carolina, Clemson, South Carolina. So we're just going to put our feet back down, move back into our house. Um, you know, we, we've talked about it. We don't really know after a year, there's like kind of like this, this screen where I had no clue what it looks like beyond that first year, but we're trying to figure out what that balance, we know we're going to go on the road again. We know we like to travel, but is it two or three years at home, one year of travel? Is it staying at home and traveling during the summers? I don't know. It's kind of a, I'm going to have to learn from other people to see, see how they do that. But that's, we've got the bug bad. So we're definitely going to be traveling and doing some other, other things along the way. Well, that's a lot of fun. You're making some great memories with your family too. So you've, um, you know, you talked about building this, this lifestyle that you have and the amount of properties that help you to live the life that you need, whether they're leveraged or not. Um, if you could go back to the beginning when you just started getting this all started and say to yourself, give yourself one piece of advice, what, what would that piece of advice be to you uh, as you're, as you're getting this all started? Yes. Yeah, awesome question. Um, I think, I think I'd give a negative advice and a positive advice. Like the positive I would say is like what, what I did do was learning that one slice of the business. And in particular, I learned how to find deals. Uh, real estate is kind of like a funnel. You know, you have to, you have to get the property and you get, there's a lot of other important things to learn like property management and remodeling. But if, if you can't figure out how to find the deal, nothing else really works. So like the positive advice is like, keep doing that. Like I learned how to find deals and market and, you know, find those off the market kind of non MLS properties, ones that realtors don't have, you know, behind the scenes. That's, that's a super important skill for anybody who's looking to get in real estate. So do that again, Chad. Um, but the other, (laughs) the other advice, I think the negative advice is like to slow down, you know, the, the 2007 that I talked about, um, you, you don't have to be at blazing speed, to accomplish your goals and you don't have to get bigger and have this huge real estate empire. Although I say that people might see 90 properties as a huge real estate empire, but it's all relative. You know, if you're, if you're investing on the side and you need 10 properties, um, you know, that's, that's plenty. You could have two properties and that could be plenty. You could have one. And so I would just say to myself, and this is a message to everybody as well as like, you know, you can find what's enough. Like don't, listening to me, like, don't think you have to buy a bunch of properties. If, if one or two accomplishes your goals, um, comparing yourself to other people is what I did. And I, and I, I mentioned earlier how I borrowed goals from other people. I think that can be dangerous. I think you should, uh, emulate strategies, emulate skills, but not ever 
borrow their end destination. Like you want to, you want to look at the person you're, you're emulating and say like, where, where did they go? What was the ultimate destination of the strategies they used in real estate or business or finance? And if it, if it seems like pretty analogous to where you're trying to go, then yeah, that's a, that's a good thing to do. But I, I hear so many people in the real estate space, teachers, particularly people who write books who are, you know, talking all about this lifestyle and how you can travel and do all that. And I know for a fact, you know, they're spending like one, they're working, 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 spending one or two weeks a year, maybe doing these frantic vacations. And that's fine. Like if that's, if that's your thing to t- buy a thousand units and take over the world in the real estate, that's awesome. You know, that's, that's, there's, there's po- positives to that, but so many of us, myself included can kind of get caught up in that and think that we have to do things that way. And so my message is take, slow down, figure out what you want to do, figure out what the, you know, the money's just a tool. The real estate's just a tool. Like what is it you were trying to accomplish? And for me, like when I first, my business partner and I did that exercise in 2007, when we realized we were going too fast and we actually wrote down like, all right, what are the things that we are actually trying to accomplish with our money? And it was amazing. It was things like, play basketball in the middle of the day for two hours, pick up basketball and not have to worry about a job. It was traveling for me as I met my wife. It was, and, and some of these things had a limited amount of money need. I mean, you don't need that much money. You don't need any money to play pick up basketball for two hours. And yet that was something that gave me a ton of, a ton of happiness. And so I think all of us have those things that if we, if we, we, we get used to just quantifying it and say, ah, I need 10,000 bucks a month. Why, you know, why do you need that 10,000 a month? What's it going to pay for? And yes, there are realistic things like, yes, we need healthcare. Yes, we need insurance. But as you really start getting into it, you're never going to erase all of the risk of all of those things happening. You have to balance, like if you want to live your life and enjoy it, you have to have that balance point between having a nice base of security, which I think rental properties is a great way to do that. But then also just knowing that, you know, I'm in the game. If, if I'm not right, if I miscalculated, I'll go buy another property, I'll work part time. So having that flexibility to know that, you know, it's never going to be hundred percent guaranteed. And yet I can't wait until, until I die to actually start trying to, to live my life a little bit. So that's, that's, <laughs> That's, that's part of the important realization that I've, I've had over the years. I love that. That's great. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that message with us. So you got, you got this book coming out August 23rd. What can people expect to learn when they pick up this book, Chad? Yeah. So this is a strategy book and it was partly for my own purpose. I said, you know, I've been doing this for 15 years. I've had a fun journey. Like what did I do that actually I could translate to other people? So this is in part my journey and my business partner's journey and dissecting the strategies I use. You know, I, I equated the the metaphor in this book as a mountain climb. And so we'll start at the bottom of the mountain and I'll help you look at the top and say, all right, where are you trying to go financially? What's your goal? Um, and then working it backwards from there and saying, all right, here are and I use three major paths up the mountain using real estate. So one of them is buy and hold rental properties. And so I go into some examples and some details and some really good numbers on how you would use buy and hold rental properties to build wealth. Um, another one is using something a lot of people probably on this show are familiar with, like a, a debt snowball. So a lot of people use that with credit cards and student debt. Well, I talk about how you do that with rental properties and how you use leverage to start off. And then you, um, let's say for two or three years, you buy it with leverage, you use your rental income, you use your savings from your job to accelerate the debt pay down, ultimately end up with a chunk of properties that are free and clear of debt. Um, so that's, that's one whole piece of the book. And I also use for those who don't use any debt, I also give some examples of how you could just start off just paying cash for properties and do a snowball, the same kind of concept, you know, snowball your cash flow, buy another property. And 
I love that example because so many people like in the traditional real estate industry are just like shocked. Oh man, you can't use, you have to use leverage. Leverage is like a, it's like a sun basically not to use real estate for so many people who've been in the business a long time, but it's, it, it works. It works. It starts a little bit slower if you look out on a graph, but then it really snowballs over time. And that last, you know, that last piece is where um, it's, it's a very safe, steady way to grow your rental property. So that's, that's a big message of the book. It's like this, there's no like one size cookie cutter fits all. There are several strategies you can use that if that's your goal, top of the mountain, here are some really good strategies to use. And then, you know, it's not a, it's not a tactic book. Like there, there are books on how to analyze every single property to the nth degree. And I write about that on my blog a lot. Um, there's tactics on finding deals and those are super important, but this is more of like a map of saying, here's how you get from point A to B to C so that when you're doing those tactics, you're not doing like I did and run off the wrong side of the mountain and chase somebody else's peak of their mountain. Instead, you're finding your mountain, you're keeping your map, keeping your strategy. And I sprinkle that in. I, I had a lot of fun interviewing 25 other um, early retirees who use real estate to retire early. And so I got to reti- uh, interview people like Paula Pant, who I think was on your show, um, Lisa Phillips, a lot of some other people who people never heard of who were just really interesting. And so I sprinkle those strategies with lots of stories and um, real life examples so people can kind of identify themselves. If you don't identify, identify with my story, hopefully there's somebody else you can see how they did it and what their numbers are and, and that sort of thing. Where can people find it and where's the best place for them to catch up with you as well? Yeah. So bigger pockets is my publisher. That's another awesome real estate website. So um, I'm trying to remember my URL, bigger pockets, uh, reti- forward slash biggerpockets.com forward slash retirement book is, is where we can find it. I'm sure we'll put that in the show notes. And so that the, the good thing about you, you can find it on Amazon as well. Um, but if you buy it directly through bigger pockets, I did some bonus interviews with, with several of the people in the book and really dug into some of the, the, the kind of details that you might not hear in the book. And so if you buy it through bigger pockets, you also get those bonuses and a couple other bonuses that I include, uh, with that. So that page, that URL will take you there. And, and for people who just want to follow me, write every week at coachcarson.com. That's my, my blog and my, my kind of labor of love on the internet where I, and my, I'm at the intersection of real estate and financial independence. That's, those are the two things I write a lot about. Um, sometimes it's the intersection of those, how to use real estate. Other times it's purely financial independence, travel, how do you in, in use your money to enjoy your life? A lot of the things we talked about today. Excellent. So the book is called retire early with real estate and coachcarson.com. So check it out, everybody. Yeah, thank you. It's great to be here talking to you, Andy. I've, I've enjoyed it. Thanks so much, Chad. Maybe it's just me, but I'm not sure how you could come away from an interview like that and not be inspired. Chad demonstrated true intentionality. He places high value on quality time with his children, immersing them in different cultures and creating family memories that will last a lifetime. Here are my top three takeaways for my chat with Chad. Number one, don't forget the rental property costs. A guy like me will get all excited saying that his first rental property gets him a thousand bucks a month. But a guy like me cannot forget the real expenses that come along with rental properties. Chad used a conservative but smart estimate of 50% of your total rent. Yes, 50% to cover expenses like property taxes, HOA fees, lawn management, property management repairs, 
and even saving for future capital expenses like, oh, you know, like a new roof. (laughs) And I didn't even mention the mortgage or the income taxes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Lots of monthly outflow when it comes to rental properties. (laughs) Number two, use the 60 second spouse test with your next big idea. I loved when Chad brought this one up. It it definitely hit home for Mr. Hill here, Mr. Andy. <laughs> I'm always coming up with ideas to share with Nicole and pitching her my next wild and crazy business idea. And more often than not, she has great feedback for me that I, I never think about. It, it's usually because I'm all jacked up about the idea instead of the actual validity of the idea being any good. <laughs> Nevertheless, I'm going to add this one into my marital mix. So next time I'm with Nicole, if I, if I can't explain my wacky business idea to you, baby, in 60 seconds or less and, and actually have it make sense, uh, then it's not for us. <laughs> I can think of about, um, five business ideas that, that she's actually helped me to avoid, over the last, oh, whatever, eight years of our marriage, there was the the 3D printing business when I knew nothing about 3D printing. And I think I wanted to get a Subway franchise at one point. And what, what else was there? Anyway, <laughs> now that I'll be utilizing Chad's strategy in my relationship, it's going to uh, make things a little easier. It definitely could be a solid barometer for business and marital success in your relationship. So maybe give it a try. <laughs> Number three, when you reach your goal, slow down your life and enjoy. It was so refreshing to hear that with all the real estate and financial success that Chad has had, his major goal now is to slow down and enjoy life. The mountain climb only needs to be as high as you decide. And Mr. Carson is living that right now. He's got 90 properties, 90 properties. And with his skills and determination, he can easily decide to keep growing this portfolio and amass a thousand properties or more. But right now he's more concerned with spending time with his wife and his kids and making lifelong memories together. Their life of cultural immersion and slow travel is its so inspiring to me. Talk about a way to grow up and learn what the world is really like. At a young age, the Carson kids already have excellent language skills and true cultural understanding. And they're just going to become excellent little globetrotters. It's so cool. It's so cool. This last point is is really important for us all to remember. Definitely me. Outline those financial goals, kick some major butt to get there, and then celebrate, relax, and enjoy. Because you'll surely deserve it. So those were my top three takeaways from my chat with Chad. Number one, don't forget all these rental property costs. Number two, use the 60-second spouse test with your next big idea. And then number three, when you reach your goal, slow down your life and enjoy. This interview will definitely be one of those ones that I'm going to re-listen to over and over again as I draw closer to buying our first rental property. We have about um, 40,000 saved up right now and we're still waffling back and forth between leveraging, you know, getting a mortgage or buying in cash. We're more than likely going to stay the cash route. 
I've I've definitely heard that it's mathematically optimal to you know to borrow, and it's it's a lot slower to do it the way that we're doing it. But uh, according to Mr. Carson, slow isn't a bad attribute. It's something to aspire to. Now it's time to announce our Money Master of the Week. Pauline from Canada called in to share a recent real estate victory. The floor is yours, Pauline. Hi, Andy. Thanks for having me. Uh, My name is Pauline and I live in Canada. My recent win was purchasing a rental property in an up-and-coming town about uh, 45 minutes away from where I live now. I achieved this um, half by savings and half by investment. So um, the down payment was in um, cash and uh, and investments. Um, And this is actually part of my long-term plan uh, to for financial independence as I plan to move to this town in about three years and then I will flip the rental income to be where my current uh, living situation is and uh, and that's my win. Pauline, way to go. How perfect that you shared this win during Chad and Andy's real estate chat. <laughs> I like Pauline's strategy here. Buy in an up-and-coming area of town, rent it out, fix it up like you want it, and then make it your home for the long term. She's shooting for financial independence, and real estate investing is going to help her get there. She used both cash and investments, so I'm assuming some sort of stock or mutual fund investing based on her voicemail. But with her patience, savings, diligence, and real estate savvy, Pauline is going to reach that financial independence goal in no time. Keep rocking, Pauline. If you want to learn more about Pauline and follow her path to financial independence through real estate, check her out at sundaybrunchcafe.com. That's sundaybrunchcafe.com. Pauline, thanks so much for sharing your win and congratulations for being our Money Master of the Week. Do you have a recent financial victory that you want to share on the show? You got to reach out to me, my friends. Email me at andy at marriagekidsandmoney.com or leave me a voicemail like Pauline did at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash voicemail. I would love to hear your voice or read your email. You'll find all the links and resources for today's show at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 96. Hey guys, a couple of weeks ago, this podcast broke the 100,000 download mark. I... (laughs) I was just, uh, what? oh man, I was blown away. I, I, looking, looking at my stats every once in a while just to see how things are going. It crossed over that 100,000 download mark and I, I don't know, I just kind of lost it. <laughs> it's crazy to think that I've had over 100,000 interactions with this little show that I make in the basement when my kids are sleeping. <laughs> What's more interesting, though, is that I'm averaging around 1,800 downloads per episode now, and that means there are 1,800 people tuning in each week that want to boost their young family's wealth. So if you are not one of those returning 1,800, join the clan that's strengthening their family tree and subscribe to the show today. It's free. It's easy. All you got to do is hit the subscribe button in your podcast player of choice. You got... Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, CastBox, CastBox, did I say that right? CastBox, Player FM, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You can even say, hey, Alexa, play the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast. (laughs) Anyway, hit subscribe, join us today, make me smile, grow your wealth, 
and grow the relationship that you have with your family. Because that's what I'm all about, my friends. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Kofi Annan, who actually uh, passed away a couple days ago. To live is to choose, but to choose well, you must know who you are and what you stand for, where you want to go, and why you want to get there. Let's decide who we really want to be and achieve our dreams, everyone. Carpe diem! 